going over on at Mosley, and then we have our Word of Hands congregation uh, for our deaf community uh, that meets twice a month. And Andy, Judy, and Tim are the leadership over uh, all of our sites, and Andy is here this morning, and he's going to be speaking to us, continuing in our series. Uh, But before Andy speaks, we are going to read from our Bibles. So if you have them with you, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35, but it will also be up on the screen. And it says, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find the body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb, found it just as the woman had said. But they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and gave thanks, broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us, talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told them what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke broke the bread. Let's just pray for Andy before he comes up. Father, we thank you for the truth of the words that we have spoken this morning. We pray for Andy as he comes to uh, just share with, about this passage with us. Lord, we pray you would bless him, that you would speak through him, and you would help each one of us come into a greater understanding of our relationship with you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, the reading this morning starts with uh, two men uh, walking and uh, talking with one another uh, about everything that has just happened. And then this third mystery person appears uh, walking alongside them and asks them what they're discussing. And their faces are, are downcast. Um, and he says, are you the only one? They say, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? And 
in so many ways, this kind of parallels our experience over the last uh, days and weeks, uh, and last night as well, um, with everything that has happened uh, last night in London, everything that happened in Manchester, uh, everything that happened uh, with the Coptic Christians in Egypt, everything that's happened in Kabul, and, and how can you not have been discussing uh, these things? And our faces are downcast. You know, these things hit us really hard. Uh, many of us have got family in various parts of the country as well um, that are closer to all of this. And uh, there's a poignancy, I think, to these words, uh, particularly with the security level up in the critical zone as it's been and likely to go again. Just deplorable acts of violence that, that we can't understand. We can't understand how people can be so deceived to think it's okay. How, how networks of people can think that it's, it's okay to, to kill young lives, particularly in Manchester, the, 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 young, the youth, the children that are involved in that kind of hits us kind of really, really deeply. You know, how can people be so blind to that level of evil um, to think it's okay? And, uh, and we live in a very complex world. We live in a very dark world. And uh, we live in, uh, in the complexities of, of city life, even, with uh, multicultural uh, elements, with multi-class elements, with uh, poverty here, right beside uh, people who are really well off, and the disparities of all of that, as well as the huge diversity that there is across the city. But as people of the light, as uh, the New Testament describes uh, Christians, we're to seek the welfare of our cities in the spirit of Jeremiah 29 to seek the welfare, to pray for the welfare, as, as many were doing last night at the cathedral, um, and to pray for the, the blessing of the city. We're to be neighbors to the city, and uh, as many have prayed this morning, we're not just here to be self-serving, we're not even just to be self-preserving, but we're to continue to be courageous in reaching out and, uh, and putting a hand out across our city um, so that we build places and we build neighborhoods um, where there is good relationship, there's good bridge building, um, and we live as neighbors. So you can be a neighbor in your street. I was chatting to a guy as I came out of Riverside House just the other day. Uh, I think there were a Saudi family that lived next door to Riverside House. I just thought I'd just take a few minutes just to chat and ask him how his family's doing. It was a longer conversation than I'd anticipated. He's got six amazing kids, and he told me lots of details about all of them. And obviously, I bigged my own family up a little bit as well. But um, just to, to stretch out a hand to people and just to spend a little bit of time uh, with people that are perhaps a little bit different than, uh, than our own backgrounds. And just as Jesus taught, you know, it's the Good Samaritan. It's the people who are different to us very often that we're to reach out to and we're to converse with and we're to help and support. But also good neighbors across our city. We're not just to look after our own nice little neighborhoods, but actually we're to see the city as a whole and we're to look at how do we make the entire city a better place and what can we do to engage with that. Um, and also across the cities, as we've been doing, um, last week uh, we, we sent some letters and prayers that the kids had written up to Manchester, to a church in the centre of Manchester, and you know, our prayers and blessings with London uh, today as well. But at a time when, when our city and our nation needs God more than ever, um, and perhaps many people will, will look to him in these days. But uh, with all of these things that happen, we believe that, that you know, the words of this book speak into every part of the situation. This is totally relevant to everything that, that happens, to the victims um, and to their families. You know, it, it's words of, of hope and healing. It's, it's the, the words of lament and, uh, and understanding, um, of comfort and hope. Uh, and even the, the heart-changing power of forgiveness and the ultimate challenge that comes with that, the very relevant words in here. To, uh, to you know, our leaders, there's, there's wisdom and there's light uh, within these pages for very complex situations. For the perpetrators, 
You know, the, the, this brings light. This brings uh, conviction uh, of, of hearts, uh, of what is really right uh, in our world. To our communities, it calls us to, to reach out to one another and build healthy communities around us. And to every one of us, it's a mirror that reflects our own hearts, our own attitudes, and says, is, is what is in here in line with what is good and with what is yours? And uh, as Sarah prayed, you know, it speaks of redemption even through the darkest uh, of days. It's a highly relevant uh, set of writings uh, for our day. And so we come here to, to Jesus where all these things had happened. And we see his priorities uh, his, uh, as he's just come back from the dead, uh, which is uh, firstly to ask um, people's understanding. What, what is it you understand by what has just happened, is what he says. He doesn't give himself away. Um, he then reframes their understanding uh, with the scriptures uh, and with the Bible. Um, and then thirdly, he eats with them. He spends some time literally eating with them. And as a result of that, people's eyes are opened. And I think there are definitely lessons that we can take from that um, in, in eating with other people, in asking what they understand about what's either happening in the world or, what's, or the, what they understand about things of faith. Um, and then looking to see how do the scriptures speak into that. You know, do we know the scriptures well enough? Do we know the gospel well enough to say this, to show how this is relevant to every situation um, that we come to? And what's interesting here is this is Jesus' priority. This is the first thing he does uh, after uh, the resurrection. You know, if you died and came back to life, you know, what would be uh, the first thing you would do? Uh, perhaps it would say something about you. You know, if you came back to life and phoned for a pizza, perhaps that would say something. Okay, if you went straight back into work, perhaps that would say something a little, perhaps, sad about you. Uh, unless you're Jack Bauer or Jason Bourne, in which case might let you off, because that's what you expect. You can come back from the dead and go and save the world. That's what you're for. But maybe most of us, it would be hugging a loved one um, in that situation, finding the person closest to us. Um, or if you're a lad, maybe you would tell your brothers, not like Jesus did, but I told you so, um, just in a competitive way. But here is Jesus' priority, to eat with people, to ask with what people's understanding is and to reframe it uh, with the scriptures. It's effectively, in a Riverside context, starting a community group or a life group or an alpha group, um, eating together, walking together, discussing together and opening the scriptures together. And I encourage you, if you're not part of one of the groups uh, here at Riverside, you know, do get involved in one. It's a great opportunity uh, to grow and to develop in that way. But uh, Jesus starts off with them. They don't know who he is, this mystery third person. They are kept from recognizing him in verse 16. You can be physically alive and you can be intellectually alert but spiritually blind. Okay, They don't see Jesus here for who he really is, even though he's standing right there with him. And yet that is true of everybody who is outside of Christ. Anyone who, who doesn't yet know Jesus or chooses in our lives to close our eyes to the truth. We need God to open our hearts, God to open our minds, God to open our understanding and, uh, and our eyes uh, to all of that. And that was my experience uh, before I was a Christian. I was effectively walking around life like this. And this is where I hope the microphone works as well, inside as outside. And um, I, you know, I thought I could see quite well. You know, I was looking around. I thought I understood what relationships were all about. Uh, I thought I understood where my life was going and what that was all about. Um, and I thought this friend of mine who kept tapping me on the shoulder and telling me I had a cardboard box on my head was off his, off his trolley. You know, he said, no, take it off, Andy. There's a lot more to see around the world than you realize. I said, no, no, I'm very familiar with this. 
You know, this is, I was born into the world like this. Um, this, is, this is all I really know. But um, as I grew into life, I realized perhaps it was a little bit darker in here than I first thought. Uh, perhaps I did get a little bit more frustrated than I'd hoped for. And as I listened more and more to the good news of Jesus, and God started to tap me on the shoulder and uh, open my eyes and remove the box so that I could see. I hope you heard what I've just said for the last five minutes. <laughs> I have no idea. But just as like C.S. Lewis said, he said, I believed in Christianity not just because I could see it like the sun in the sky, but because by its light, everything else made sense. Okay, it opens our eyes to everything else as well. And uh, as I look around today, actually there's one or two with cardboard boxes on their heads. Okay? And as you go into your week this week, you will meet an awful lot of people with cardboard boxes on their heads. And so we need to pray for them. We need to eat with them. We need to walk with them. Um, we need to listen carefully to their understanding and then just gently reframe their insights with uh, the Bible and uh, with the good news of Jesus. People are spiritually blind. I was. But also, people are slow to believe the Bible says Jesus in verse 25, how slow you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And when they described what had happened, uh, these two travelers actually speak very highly of uh, this Jesus of Nazareth. They say he's a prophet, he was powerful in word and deed before God and before men uh, and people. Um, he was sentenced to death, he was crucified. But we'd hope for a lot more. Basically, we thought he was going to rescue us completely. You know, I thought he was going to just you know, overthrow this this uh, situation of uh, being, you know, headed up with the Romans and all of that. I just thought he was going to emancipate us properly. And you know what? It's the third day and still nothing's happened. Um, actually, we, we, some women went to the tomb, they say, um, and they couldn't find the body. And they started to talk about angels and stuff. But, you know, when we sent the lads, you know, they couldn't find the body, but they didn't see anything like Jesus or that. So we're not very sure, really. Um, you can imagine that attitude and then realize that Jesus is actually standing there right beside you. A little bit awkward, isn't it? A bit humble pie. But have you ever been separated from people? This happens to me a lot in my family. You know, we'll be walking down the town or somewhere, and uh, I'll nip into a shop, or I'll go across the road to take a photograph or whatever, and they're, they're miles ahead. And they start talking about you, like, oh, where's Dad, where's whatever. And what the great thing to do is to sneak up behind them before they've realized again. It's quite interesting because they have conversations about you, which I won't go into. But uh, it's, 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 uh, it's a little bit like that here, except Jesus is actually there. They just don't realize who he is. And he says, how slow you are to believe all that was written before by the prophets. Basically, the Old Testament, the whole of the first two-thirds of the Bible. He says, oh, don't you realize that what is happening now had to happen? That I had to suffer before I enter my glory and before all things come good. Um, it's a little bit like coming out of an exam at uni or college or a course that you've got to do and saying, where's my certificate and where's my well-paid job? And somebody's saying, did you not read the prospectus? Did you not read the course outline? Um, what happens is that, you know, here's the modules you have to do. This is how it's going to be assessed and examined. Then all the marks will be put together. Then you will graduate and get your certificate on this particular date. Then you apply for jobs. That's, that's the timeline. Didn't you realize? Didn't you not read it all? And it's the same here. Jesus is saying, didn't you not read it all? Did you not read the perspective? Did you not realize this is what had to happen? Um, perhaps we even live in days where, where that may still be true. Um, do we understand it of how it is meant to work out? And uh, 
And so thirdly, he comes and he says, this is all about Jesus. The whole of this, this, this verse here is all about me, except it's not him yet because he's not told them that he's him. Okay, it all points to Jesus. It all points to Jesus' rescue plan for mankind. And uh, the cross, Jesus, his future kingdom is shadowed through the whole of everything. It, it, it sends a shadow right the way through. And so he starts this, what must have been one of the most amazing Bible studies, where he goes from the very beginning of the Bible and he kind of works through the whole of the scriptures and explains how it's all about Jesus. He starts with Genesis. He says, don't you realize this is all about, desperate to say me, but he doesn't, this Jesus you speak of. It's all in there. And, uh, and, and Exodus, yeah, that's all about this big J as well. And, and Leviticus, yeah, here, here, and here. It's all about this Jesus Christ. And he goes through all of the scriptures, and he just keeps going and going and going and taking all of them. I'm jumping ahead there. Um, taking all of them and saying, this is all about me, connecting them all to himself. It, there's lots of morality in there, but it's not primarily about morality. There's lots of tradition and history in here, but it's not primarily about that. It's primarily all about Jesus. And uh, so we start with the prophecies. Um, you know, the, the Old Testament speaks to us about the prophecies. And Old Testament prophecy is there because it speaks of places, people, and times uh, hundreds of years in advance before they ever happen with a specificity that is too, uh, too tricky to, to label as a good guess. And it's there to show us that this is not just man's word, but that this is God-inspired. That God, who is behind history himself, the one who sees all, the one who knows all, the one who sovereignly rules over all, is ultimately behind the inspiration uh, of what is in here. And even as early as Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, moments after mankind's fall into sin and temptation and rebellion, and thousands of years before Jesus is ever born of Mary, the Virgin Mary, God comes and gives his first prophecy. And he speaks to the serpent in the garden, our, uh, our enemy, his adversary, and he starts to say these words, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. So sin has just come into human history, but God will send a savior for sinners. First of all, it says he. Okay, we're looking for a male child. You know, he will be born of a woman, um, which is actually the first hint at a virgin birth because as you read the rest of Genesis, every now and again there's a genealogy, there's a family history, but it's always um, uh, the male line. So it's the fathers, the grandfathers, the great-grandfathers. But here we have no mention of a father. We only have the mention of the mother. Okay? This is a savior who would come into the world, a male born of a woman, no biological father mentioned, um, and even his words to Adam doesn't even mention it. Uh, he'll be conceived supernaturally because he's not just a mere man, um, but he's God become a man. He would battle Satan, the serpent, and Satan would harm and wound him, but ultimately he would defeat and crush this character, Satan. So from Genesis 3.15 onwards, there's an expectation that a woman would give birth to a son who would become the savior of the world. It's all about Jesus. And then Isaiah goes on later on and is, uh, brings some more specificity to that, and he says, the Lord will give you a sign, the virgin will be with child and she will bear a son and you'll give him the name Emmanuel, which means God with us, God with us. 
this miracle of God. And then later on, Micah comes and says where it will happen in Bethlehem, Micah 5. And some will say, well, I don't think this book is inspired by God. But then who has inspired it? Where does it come from to know the future like that? Details about his birth, about his life, about his work, about his lineage, about his location, about his character, about his death, about his resurrection, about his future kingdom, still things to come. And the two travelers say, well, Jesus died and uh, you know, we'd hoping he'd rise. And Jesus says, don't you believe this, is, this will happen? This will happen. You might not feel it at the moment, but this will happen. Don't you know the scriptures? Okay, these are the most important writings that we have on this planet. And uh, I encourage you strongly to, to read them, to get to know them as well as possible. Secondly, in the Old Testament, we learn about Jesus through events. Um, so, for example, the Passover. You know, at the end of Genesis, there's a small family of about 60 uh, or so, and they're suffering from this massive famine. And so they go to Egypt... And uh, they're there for the next 400 years, so through Genesis and through Exodus. Um, and over that next 400 years, they become a few million. They become a nation um, uh, called Israel. But they're in Egypt, where there's this new king, the Pharaoh. And Pharaoh likes to be worshipped like a god. And he uh, humiliates the people of God. He enslaves them. He mistreats them. And so the real god decides he wants to rescue them, deliver them. Um, so they're free to worship him. And so the real God shows up to challenge the, the false God of Pharaoh. And he says, you need to let these people go. Otherwise, there's going to be uh, some consequences. Pharaoh hardens his heart. Um, he wants to be God himself, so he refuses. And the consequences become a series of escalating plagues. He still won't cooperate, and so the plague of the firstborn comes. And uh, with, the, with the firstborn of every family that will be taken unless that somebody acts as a, out of faith um, and as an act of worship and acknowledgement of their sin. They take an animal and they sacrifice it and they use the blood to paint the, the lintel of the door and the sides of the door. And on that night, it, with that act of faith, literally death will pass over that family and leave them alone. Okay? Hence why it's called the Passover. And yet it's all about Jesus. He is the Passover lamb. You know, he, he is the, the animal, if you like, or the, the sacrifice that is given, the blood that is shed so that we can be uh, forgiven and that God's wrath can pass over us in all of that due to the sin and the shame of our own lives and we get eternal life instead. Every event is about Jesus in some way. A third way are the titles. A whole variety of titles are used in the, the Old Testament that are attributed to Jesus. So Isaiah, which was written uh, 700 years around about before Jesus ever came, um, the last sort of 20-odd chapters of that, chapters 40 to 66, is this character, the suffering servant, who's written about time and time again, that God would send a saviour, a son, who would be a suffering servant. And then 700 years later, Jesus comes, and he says, I have come not to serve, but to give my life as a ransom for many. He is that suffering servant. And there are many others as well. We looked at the Son of Man from Daniel 7 a few weeks ago, you know, where Daniel has this vision of Jesus in eternal glory in heaven, ruling and reigning and uh, coming into human history humbly as a man to set up a kingdom that will never end. Titles throughout the Old Testament, you know, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. It's all about Jesus. And uh, 
There's also Christophanes, God the Son, okay, the second person of the Trinity, turning up in the Old Testament. There are these characters that you read about. So, for example, you have uh, Abraham who has a conversation with someone, has a conversation with a man who he turns out to be God. Okay, is that, is that this character? Is that Jesus? Jacob wrestles all night with someone physically who turns out to be God. Is that Jesus? Daniel's three friends in the fiery furnace. And then a fourth guy turns up, described like the son of the gods. Jesus again. Isaiah 6, he has this great vision that John refers to in John 12, 41. He says, Isaiah saw Jesus and spoke of his glory. Jesus turns up throughout the Old Testament on these occasions. Um, and then there are types, what we call types, where somebody does something um, that's a little bit like Jesus, but then Jesus comes and does it bigger and better um, to fulfill it, if you like. So, for example, we have um, right at the beginning of human history, we have the first Adam or the first man. And then Jesus is described as the last Adam. Um, so, for the first Adam, he sins and brings sin into the world. The last Adam doesn't sin and takes sin out of the world. The first Adam didn't sin, okay? Um, the last, sorry, the, the first Adam, through him we inherit our sinful nature. But through the last Adam, through Jesus, we inherit a new nature. We're born of God and actually we're born as saints. You know, through the first Adam we're born as sinners, but through Jesus we come as saints. And so the Old Testament, again, is just filled with loads and loads of these things um, that are then explained in the New Testament. Obvious ones like the priest in the Old Testament. And Jesus is our great high priest, the one who mediates between us and God, the one who stands in the gap to bring us to God. Not religion, but Jesus. And so everything that happens in the Old Testament, okay, Abraham, he leaves his father's house and he goes and starts a new people. That's Jesus. Isaac lays down his life on the altar. It's Jesus. Joseph, betrayed, reckoned dead, but ultimately saves loads and loads of people. It reflects Jesus. Moses delivers his people from slavery. Reflects Jesus. Job, an innocent man opposed by Satan, with friends who are of little help to him, ultimately vindicated by God. Reflects Jesus. Jesus is greater than every single one of them. And every story parallels something of what he was coming to do and will do. He's greater than Abraham, he's greater than Isaac, he's greater than Job, he's greater than David, he's greater than Moses, he's greater than every single one of them. And so when we read the Old Testament, the stories there, we need to remember that something about it is pointing us to something about Jesus. It's ultimately all about him. And so no wonder all of the travelers, the travelers there were saying, was not our hearts burning? when he unpacked the scriptures to us, when he opened the scriptures to us, when he taught to us on the road. And the encouragement is that through it all, God opens their eyes. Now, I can remember a, a lad called Bhikkhu. Uh, he was a Hindu guy. He lived a few doors up from us in Balsall Heath. And uh, he, he opened his eyes to, to this. He became a Christian. And every night, quite late into the night sometimes, he'd be round knocking on our door asking us another question. Right? And we'd think we'd answered that, and then he'd come back 10 minutes later with another question. He was just, his heart was burning with this, and we were only on about the fourth chapter of Genesis. He had so many questions, but he was so hungry to know about it and to find out about it. 
Um, because God opens our eyes to see that he is Lord, that he is Savior, he's the King, he's the rescuer, um, that he changes our lives. And if you know people, you know, in your family, at work, in a sports team, um, at college, at class, whatever it is, and they don't see who Jesus is, we're not to get frustrated with them. Okay? We are to pray for them. We're to keep finding ways to open the scriptures to them. We're to teach them. We're to keep answering their questions and drop some Bible facts into their lives. You know, what is your favorite Old Testament prophecy that speaks of something that Jesus did? You know, start to give people that information and wait for the Holy Spirit to open their understanding. I don't think I was stupid before I was a Christian. You might debate that. But I do know I was blind. Okay, I couldn't see it. And the first priority of Jesus when he comes back is to walk with people where they're at, teach them the scriptures, teach them the word of God, teach them about the fact that God has inspired the books of this, this, uh, of this Bible and that it's all about this Jesus.